Curb, you're muted. Oh. Oh, no. How are we doing now? You're doing great. Good stuff. This is the good, the good, good stuff you tune into the live stream for. <laughs> And we got the title card. This one uh, is is from Mid Journey 5.1, as I understand it. It's called "What If Wars Were Fought with Guitars." You wanted to paint a word picture for the listeners, Ramsey? Yeah, I see three grown men in full military kit, helmets, goggles, backpacks, fatigues, and they're each shredding, just 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 like melting each other's faces in what appears to be active combat with explosions and dirt flying. Like, it looks like they're just going to town on one another. I think this would be what it would look like if wars were fought with, with guitars instead. Just shredding. Just shredding. I, my, my face is dripping off melting just from looking at that. Okay, first up, AI to go. From The Verge, the headline is Wendy's tests an AI chatbot that takes your drive through order. Fast food chain is partnering with Google to train an AI model that knows what biggie bags and JBC mean. No, no, I didn't know that I ever wanted to say this, but sir, this is a Wendy's. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to put your pants back on, sir. I, I hate to be the Luddite, but can, but, but, but can it really, can it really condescend me that way? Can the AI really do that too? Possibly. Yeah, this is great. Uh, thanks, Wendy's. Good, you know, good the reality of jobs in the future. So maybe it's not lighter fare, <laughs> but, but, it, yeah. but it's, <laughs> but it sounds sillier because you get to make that joke. <laughs> I get to make a joke about a Wendy's and I, I can't wait for their spicy social media campaigns about this. Oh, their social media is on point. It's so spicy. Respect. It is as spicy as their crispy chicken sandwich, which is a delicious sandwich. God, they're good at this. Okay. Hey, how far are the ways the nearest Wendy's? I don't know. Another week, more open source news. Uh, Here from The Verge, Meta open sources multi-sensory AI model that combines six types of data. Is this because Llama leaked? Or do you think they leaked Llama so they could dump their open source stuff? Anyway, that turned immediately into a wild accusation. But the point is, is, to our stories that we hit earlier in the week, late last week, about the leaked Google memo, there's a real conversation to have about moats and stuff when you're looking at, at Facebook. Who would capture the beach head if they could is, is going, okay, we just need to, we're going to just start putting this stuff out and here's the thing. That- so here's, here's beyond that, beyond that. Here's the interesting part. Facebook's deep research labs, and yes, I'm still going to call them Facebook. Facebook's deep research labs have been pouring a lot of money into crossing the bridge between the digital and the physical and they've been investing in developing robotics for very, very light, precise touch and sensitivity. They've been developing robots that can feel different textures. They've been very, very quietly building very exciting things in the physical embodiment space. So this isn't just a, well, does this, because they got, they needed to do some sort of follow-up with Lothana. This is, is their stance that the metaverse is not just this other space you have to don goggles to go to. It is life come alive with data, which does mean reversing that formula and bringing data into embodiment. So of course you release a giant multimodal model because I think what they're going to come to realize is 
maybe this is maybe they're doing this because llama worked. Oh God, they didn't leak llama. Llama was a yeah, lab leak hypothesis here. Llama was a let's kick it out there and see what they build, and let's keep the open source community flourishing because now they launch this, people are going to be building things on this like crazy. There's going to be uh, hobbyists in their home taking Arduinos with thermal sensors and hooking them up to this model. Like this is oh wow, this is way bigger than anything anyone's done since at least GPT four. This is huge because this is now oh god, this is this is the biggest thing that's happened in a while. And the question of like how well does it work? Have you ever have you used a Quest two? Yep. Like they had to solve a lot of these problems for the metaverse, like you said. And so I think there's a tendency to scoff at the last year of. Mark Zuckerberg being out front of saying that the metaverse is real and we're going to work on it to the tune of billions in in budget, and then yeah. everybody's everybody on Wall Street's going to laugh at us when Quest Two doesn't turn out to be a fucking snow crash or whatever everybody thought it was going to be. Right? New rule: you're only allowed to swear if you're wearing the pit vibers. <laughs> on the Ooh, show, no, that's too that's too on the nose. Okay, that's too on the nose. But like being able to provide the fidelity of VR presence that they do with the Quest 2 headset is a solution like to things broader than just, hey, you can play video games with your friends. That turned out to be a bust. Like The stuff they had to build to make a lot of those things work, the impressive demos they showed at the end of the year and stuff, cascade back into this type of processing yeah. and stuff. Right? Like you have yeah. to be able to look at a camera and go, there's a chair there, don't hit it. The, everyone loves talking, not everyone loves um, a handful of our friends like talking about the digital transformation as this big corporate process. But if you, you go back to the face of the, the Shogoth that is the digital transformation, it is the totalizing effect of late techno-capitalism to turn every last thing into data and all data into things as to have the seamless merging of the physical and non-physical space and non-space. And the Quest 2 having good pass-through cameras so you can keep it on your face and walk around your house is the same force as a multimodal model that includes movement, thermal, and depth data, and audio data, as we increasingly find ways to make the lines between the virtual and the physical trivial, if not passe. And this is them taking that innovate, scale, democratize, optimize loop and cranking the knob off it. And I can't wait to see what gets built here. There are about to be 10 million interesting governance questions about this and trust problems with this. I can't wait to see where this goes. Coggle up. Coggle up. It's getting faster. Okay, this one says a windowed black box. OpenAI's new tool attempts to explain language models' behaviors. All right, I've got this one because I actually did a dive on this on LinkedIn yesterday. So one of the problems in large language models is that they they generate an output from your input and then if you if you try to ask anyone well, why did it can you talk to me about why it said the thing it did the answer is ah something something weights and activations something something attention something something positional encoding something something don't know what the neurons know and it's a very unsatisfying amount of something somethings what they found a way to do is use gpt4 and the inputs and outputs from it aligned with the inputs and outputs of GPT-2 such that you can automate the interrogation of this smaller model, GPT-2, by this larger model, GPT-4, to get at what the specific neurons in GPT-2's brain each encode. What is it that they're, act, that they're lighting up when they see in words? And the explanation they give is actually really fascinating about how these models know what they know. 
this neuron just encodes the letter K. But this neuron downstream encodes letter K, but only when it's in the word cat, but related to a brand like KitKat. Um, the examples they gave are crazy compelling as a, as a tool and a perspective. But, but the point I think is more important is that the future of all of this is machines policing machines. And that's been one of our early, I, we wrote a 2020 vision paper very early in the company's history as we were thinking through like what would this, what would this be before we'd even really gone down this path at all. Just conceptual about like, what is the shape of this future? And one of the things that we pointed to was the, the Turing cops from Neuromancer and the idea that there would be these hybrid human machine teams that would be responsible for, for automating and scaling AI trust. And this is the first practical application of this that we've seen. Is it good at it? No, the thing they presented like has a 80% hit rate on a thousand of the 200,000 neurons in GPT-2. And then like a 1%, 10 to 1% hit rate on everything else. It's pretty weak. It falls off really bad when you scale it. But it's an indication of the shape of the thing to come because everything that's, in the words of Sam Altman, if it starts out as a toy, there's a good chance that that, that thing's going to come to, to, to change the world. And this now is a toy right now, but it's an indicator of what can be done here to automate AI trusted scale using AI. And that's the only path this can go down. The way I see it, there are two parts to this. The, the place that makes my head go is, okay, but is it, is it a window or is it a video screen? You understand the, the distinction? Yeah. You can yep, yep, yep. intercept the signal going to a video screen and manipulate it, right? We could still, in our effort at transparency, be manipulated by GPT-4 deciding to tell us something different from what it's actually doing, right? I mean, it would be a concern like forever uh and I, I think so there's so there's two pieces to this one is the point you're making that it's going to take technology to wrangle the technology just how it's going to work in terms of complexity like think about the like i think about the the human brain and and some of the stuff i understand on the physiology side it's like there's moving your body and then there's the proprioceptive piece which is knowing where your body is in space relative to that movement and it takes three times more, 10 times more to do the in-space part compared to the just get your hand to go up part, fire the muscles, right? Kind of the same sort of thing. Then there's the slow piece, which is the reason we're talking about this is because we also will never trust it if there isn't a regulatory component where people take the time to really understand what's going on. Because just asking the black box to black box tell you what it's doing doesn't fix the trust problem here. The other thing is we have to continue the laborious process of actually understanding how it works, talking to the people who built it, regulating that kind of stuff. But that's, that's the government side. That's the like, okay, this can move slowly over here side because it's part of a human yeah. trust system. Yeah. And as I'm, I'm recalling more and more of the discourse about all of this, lovingly shifting towards the David Bowie interview that's recirculating or describing the internet as an alien technology from the future, yeah. alien life form from the future, as people are beginning to discuss what is going on with large language models. They are alien intelligence from this alien weaponry from the future that happens to speak English. And therefore, we're like, oh, this is this charming. I bet it can write my emails. Um, it's like, oh, that is a <laughs> terrifying thought. That, that, that's where we're co- culturally dealing with all this. And when we keep insisting on using anthrocentric ways of talking about cognitive architectures, like human words about human minds and what human minds do, to talk about what it's doing, we're going to keep coming up short. And when we keep insisting that humans be the validators of these things, we're going to get outpaced dramatically. So there's a part of me that looks at this and says that at a certain point, AI trust is going to have to mean, look, you've just got to trust the thing. Because 
it's going to be machine on machine dependencies all the way down, simply at the problem of scale and speed. And at the current pace of change on this and the current market spread, our only option at a certain point is going to have to be at some point saying, we just have to trust it. And there's going to be a lot of people who are deeply uncomfortable with that. We're going to say things like that, but that's a fundamentally unacceptable answer. And you'll ask them, so tell, tell me, given the scale and speed, what else are our options? And I'd be very curious to find out the other options. Because right now, I don't see that pathway. Like, it's not slowing down. And you're not going to wake up in six months and it turns out no one wants to use GPT-4 anymore. It's only going to be 10 times as many people. I didn't expect this piece of this conversation to go here, but it turns into a perfectly good tease for tomorrow. The slide I had to push out of today's, Joe, that would be a perfect answer to this, but it's about the idea of constitutions inside of, inside of the black box. Documentation is important. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Talking with our hands. Uh, this is actually a, a link to a research paper. People that want to dig in in that kind of way and stuff that we deal with all the time. I like this one in part because they, they lead with this Steve Jobs quote that I just, I thought it was just kind of funny, honestly, but it's from the original iPhone launch. It says, we're going to use the best pointing device in the world. We're going to use a pointing device that we are all born with, born with 10 of them. We're going to use our fingers. <laughs> we're going to touch this with our fingers. It was him explaining in a paradigm of styluses that we were just going to use our fingers for the iPhone. It's important to remember that that was a big deal. Uh, yeah. But also his point is, point is relevant to this paper, which is a team that used computer vision to layer understanding gestures on top of chat GPT. And I'm, for the people on the live stream, the people that can't see the live stream, I'm waving my hands in the camera. Like so much of how we talk to one another when we're in person is with our hands. And this is a yeah. super interesting problem to, to be solving. That is. That is brilliant. Guess you what? Want to, you want to go back to this? It's pretty good at what? it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. Oh, I'm. I'm certain. <laughs> I am certain. Well, again, let's go back to the 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 meta multimodal model. This is the collapsing of the digital and the physical. Exactly. For which, so much latent information is still available to be encoded in the physical, audio, thermal, motion, light, our gestures, proprioception. All of these don't contain, I mean, if, if, I don't want Claude Shannon to come out of the grave and punch me. It's not that they contain information. Information might be able to use to, to capture and model them in some form of compressed simulacra. Feels like a safe way to talk about that problem. Um, and that information, your brain is decoding. And you know what it means when someone has gesticulation. You can even hear it in my voice as I'm gesticulating. That's, that's still control signal. That's still the kind of thing that could be, could be information to a model. That's super fascinating. I love that. Thanks for sharing that one. This one says, talking on our hands. Again, from The Verge, Humane's new wearable AI demo is wild to watch, and we have lots of questions. Uh, it's linked to a TED Talk where one of the founders of Humane, which you may have heard of sort of in the AI space, demoed one of their interfaces. I think it was a pretty cool take on how we might interact with this stuff. It's in you wearing your shirt, and he's taking a phone call by a projector on his palm. The broader TED Talk is about how screens are a limitation. And like, obviously, these are going to be little things that we carry around like you see in her. Yep. But I couldn't. It's really just a go check it out. Pretty cool interface. Uh, hit point. But I couldn't resist a thematic transition like that. Hands in hands. 
And the last one, so I'm going to start flagging this more aggressively on the show because I realized I haven't really done it. Opinion pieces. Try to tag at least one each week. Yeah. And then we can wrap it up as, you know, as fast as we can. But this one's from Politico, the opinion, uh, opinion section. It says, we need a Manhattan project for AI safety. I mean, we've already talked about Robert Oppenheimer on here a couple of times. Yep. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I'm living in it. I'm, li- I'm living in a Manhattan project for AI safety. Right. So what this made me think of is the number of times that like Altman has in interviews said the government should have built this, but they didn't. So here we are. Now what do we do? Which is a convenient thing to say when you're standing in the position of being the one who built it. Yeah. But it is a relevant part of the regulatory conversation, which is like, we got the atomic bomb because of a government push, which means it was behind those kinds of firewalls. Yep. This works different. Capitalism works different. But also this is like why we are here, which is to try to solve this problem. Again, still believing that capitalism is still a way to solve it. Right. We, Capital- are, we are a right. benefit corporation. Right. We are not a not-for-profit. We do not take public money uh, in the form of, of, of grants to do this as a, as a sole funding source. We believed a market could also per- create a solution for this because the market will also experience the pain of getting this wrong. And it's, it's funny when you, you couch this in this, in this frame because I, I, I brought this up on, on Monocle on, when I was on the, the Monocle Daily on Friday that of all the universes out there, there's one in which we had a Manhattan Project for AI and now because it was predominantly and almost exclusively an, a state-funded research program, that world is actually much better and safer than ours because this thing has controls on it because of the nature of its federal funding in ways where ours doesn't. But we live in this universe and we have these incentive structures and they're wildly more different than that. So if you're trying to bolt on Manhattan Project for AI safety, you're basically fighting the, you're, you're fighting the, the, the techno-capital machine with governance itself. And the best you can hope for, we think, in that perspective is showing that the incentives are aligned as opposed to trying to bludgeon the thing back into submission. We also live in very different techno-capitalist circumstances than like we did in the 30s. Yeah. But I think the main point is it is that that is the right conversation to be having, right? Yeah. And the fact that the window is there now makes me feel better about the situation. Yep. But for anyone still not taking it seriously, there's an aspect of this conversation that lives at the level of should have been the Manhattan Project. That big. But we do live in a world where we can VR up the scene you find on our, our end card here, which is a bunch of dudes in siege gear melting faces instead of firing weapons. Yeah. Well, again, uh, <laughs> alien weaponry from the future. Ooh, neat. Soldiers uh, and guitars. Well, this turned into an extra long one. Yeah. All right. We're going to get out of here. We'll uh, see you tomorrow. Another Accelerate Early. Thanks, everybody. 